Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the privilege today of talking with Dr. Seth B. Tarrer. He is a theologian and Old Testament scholar, also a graduate of Beeson Divinity School, and he is teaching now at an interdenominational Protestant seminary in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Seth, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Dr. George, thank you for having me. It is a, it's an honor to be here and to chat with you again. You, you know, uh, we have listeners all around the world because of the internet and so forth, and uh, it's a great privilege to talk to someone who is serving in Argentina, way down there near the South Pole compared to Alabama, right? That's absolutely right. In fact, pretty great. I get to send postcards to people telling them I, I'm drinking coffee at the end of the world. <laughs> a, a part of the country here is actually called the end of the world. Yeah. Sometimes it feels a bit like the end of the world. But now, yeah. I want to I get into your work, what you're doing down there, and it's fascinating uh, ministry that you have. But let's talk a little bit about your background. You're a native of Auburn, Alabama. Lakeview Baptist Church is where I think I first met you. Your folks go there. So you're a Baptist by background who's become a Presbyterian and somehow ended up all the way from Auburn to Beeson to Scotland, now to Argentina. Tell us about how that happened. Well, actually... Dr. George, my background in Auburn includes you. When I was a little boy, this man came to my church to preach, and he wore a nice suit and a tie and some bright red tennis shoes. <laughs> you remember when you used to preach wearing tennis shoes? I surely do. I got criticized uh, often. Well, it was memorable for this young boy, and um, I did. I grew up in a, a, a big Southern Baptist church in Auburn, Alabama called Lakeview Baptist Church. Um, the pastor, Al Jackson, is a dear friend of yours. Yep. And it, I grew up there. My father was a professor at Auburn University of Chemical Engineering. Mm. And uh, my sister and I both grew up in a little college town, which is getting bigger by the minute now. We, uh, I had to get out of Auburn after high school, so I went to Clemson, which is essentially Auburn in another state. Mm. Uh, but after a year, decided to come back, finished at Auburn. And while there, felt a call to ministry, and hardly a better church I could imagine being called to the ministry in than Lakeview Baptist Church. Mm. Um, all the pastors, the youth pastor, college minister, and, you know, not least Brother Al, um, encouraged us, shaped us, molded us. In fact, Brother Al had a, a morning, a weekly, early morning Bible study. He would meet with young college men who were looking to go into the ministry. Mm -hmm. We learned how to read theology together, mm. to, to talk theologically. He really instilled in me early on a passion for, for struggling with theology, for struggling with the scriptures, and to hear God speak, and to speak for the church. And so, it's a fantastic place, and uh, immediately after graduating there, we moved up to Birmingham, uh, my wife and I, right after we got married, and I applied at Beeson, and thanks be to the Lord, I was accepted, and it started in January 2002. So mm. that kind of gets me to Beeson. So you were in Beeson, I think, around the time my son Christian was a student here. Yes, sir. We overlapped for two of my three years. Now, your wife is named Mary, and you all have four children. Now, did, you didn't have four children when you came to Beeson, though. <laughs> no, we did not. We had a little dog. That was it. <laughs> uh, but we lived at student, ho student housing there at Sanford's campus uh, over on Odom Lane. Yep. And while there, we had our first, Samuel, 
who will be nine next week. Wow. Hard to believe. And um, we finished seminary with just one, with one little boy, and it quickly had a second little boy. And then we went to St. Andrews, Scotland with two boys and came home with three. Mm, my goodness. You can trace the trajectory of our life and our mission <laughs> with where were our children born and how many did we have when we, we went and when we returned. <laughs> so you graduated from Beeson. You went to the University of St. Andrews. It's a very historic university uh, in Scotland. And tell, right. tell us a little bit about your work, your graduate study, your dissertation. What, what did you work and on there? At the University of St. Andrews, I went to this university because there was a professor I really wanted to study with. Um, Gerald Braid had sort of taken me under his wing my last year at Beeson and shown me a couple schools, particularly in the UK, that I should look at for doing further studies. And St. Andrews rose to the top as far as the options that I was interested in, the kind of work I wanted to do, a dissertation on the way Christian interpreters have struggled with the scriptures. And so St. Andrews was a perfect fit. And while I was there, I worked on a, a, a thesis with a very long title, but the sum of it was, how did the ancient medieval, pre-Reformation, Reformation, and modern church, how do they read the book of Jeremiah around the question of true and false prophecy? Yeah. That's what I worked on while I was there. And, and this is being published this very year in a book called Reading with the Faithful, Interpretation of True and False Prophecy in the Book of Jeremiah. So uh, this this is, sounds to me like sort of cutting-edge theological biblical scholarship, this whole history of interpretation or what we call the theological interpretation of Scripture is just everywhere. It's pervasive, and it's a good thing I mean, it, yes. it, because it means people are interested in how the Bible has shaped Christian lives and thought through the centuries. Right, absolutely, as evidenced by the massive project that you're at the helm of right now, right? The Reformation Commentary on Scripture, right. which follows on the heels of the ancient Christian commentary on Scripture, generally edited by uh, Tom Oden. Now, from St. Andrews, you made it to Argentina. That's a little bit of a leap. There was a, there's an interim in which we moved. We were in Birmingham. Okay. Um, right. While, while we were in St. Andrews at the university, it was a real hotbed for not only stimulating theological, biblical scholarship, but also for the service of, of scholarship for the developing world, for um, the majority world church. Um, providentially, in God's goodness, he put us in a small group with four families, three of whom are now serving in, well, let me see, one is in Africa, one is in Costa Rica, we're in Argentina, and there's another one that is, he and his family are headed to Argentina in November to sort of team up with us. We're going to be mm. pairing together. He teaches New Testament. So it was a really very unique place that God put us, and he began to stir in our hearts something that had really started while we were in, while I was actually at Beeson. While I was at Beeson, I worked across the street at Covenant Presbyterian yeah. Church. And while I was there, several of the pastors mentored me and made sure that I accompanied them on mission trips, both uh, locally in the U.S. And I had the opportunity to go to Ukraine several times and to Turkey. And on one of these, on several of these trips, I got to witness firsthand the absolute lack of theological education around the world. Remember a lunch I had with a pastor in Turkey who sat across from me, and when he heard that I was taking Hebrew, in seminary, I think I was a first-year Hebrew student, which you know those are very dangerous, <laughs> but we're very eager to share all of our knowledge. He asked me my opinion on a translation matter in the Old Testament, and I thought, I'm a first-year seminary student, I don't know anything, and you're a seasoned pastor who's much, much double my age, probably, and here he was deferring to me over a lunch table, here a young know-it-all seminary student from the U.S., he was eager to learn, 
and he had no resources. There was nothing for him to work with, and very few texts that have been translated to Turkish that he could use to nourish himself and the church in Turkey. And so as, and these things are being remedied bit by bit, but there's still, mm. particularly in the developing world, the majority world, there's a huge need. So somehow you, you uh, made contact, or they made contact with you, the seminary. The initials are ISEDET, I-S-E-D-E-T. That's in Spanish. Now tell us what that says in Spanish and what it means and what kind of school it is. Well, the school is a Protestant seminary. It roughly roughly translates to an Institute of Superior Evangelical Divinity and Theology. And the school was founded by the Lutherans and Methodists, and seven other churches joined them later on in the 20th century. And that has become one of the premier Protestant seminaries and degree-granting institutions in, in all of Spanish-speaking Latin America. In fact, the last time I did any statistical searching on this, statistics are dangerous, I know, but this is, this is, this is as <laughs> yeah. of the last thing, this, this was validated. There are about 47 million Protestants in Spanish-speaking South America. And there is one PhD-granting, degree-granting institution in all of Spanish-speaking South America for Protestants. And it's easy that. That's where you teach. Wow. Yes. I will begin teaching there next year once my Spanish is, is a bit more yeah. honed. That, that's really kind of amazing when you consider the, the vast array of different Christian groups coming together under the umbrella of this one theological school. Would you say it is uh, kind of in our North American lingo an evangelical perspective or orthodox or liberal or in between? <laughs> First of all, it depends on who you ask at the, at the seminary. They have a wide variety. Being, being nine denominations represented there, there's a wide variety of perspectives that are taught. They all do have to fall under the banner of orthodoxy. Mm. Um, but evangelicalism is notoriously hard to define in Latin America. And so there are people there that definitely would eschew that title. And right. there, are, there are many others, myself included, who would whole, whole, wholeheartedly embrace the title. Yeah. But, I mean, yes. for example, Beeson, we, we have over 30 denominations here. Right. And wow. yet we have a solid core of theological commitment that the faculty and our student body buy into when they come here. We yes. Under, yes. We're very upfront about it. The Trinity, salvation by Jesus Christ alone, yes. the Holy Scriptures, the authoritative inspired Word of God. You know, the evangelical essentials. And around the edges, we differ on lots of other issues. Now, is it that kind of situation where you'd have a common fellowship? You can worship together. You can share the Word of God, Scripture together, devotionally, and so forth? Yes. Yes, it is that kind of thing. And it needs to become more of that kind of thing at the same time. There are nine churches, like I said, that support both financially and through sending their candidates to the seminary. And... These churches have a commitment to sort of safeguard and continue to promote orthodoxy. And there are standards around which the faculty and the students rally wholeheartedly. Yeah. And there are. There are substantial, significant edges, like you mentioned. There are the edges around which there is lack of unanimity. Yeah. But yes, there is, a, there is a common sense of identity and orthodoxy at the, at the seminary. It's also one in which... It, it has a lot of room to grow as well. Yeah, there's, of course. There's a, there's a I would even say the same thing about Beeson. You know, we're not there yet. Well, we're, we're not perfect. Uh, we're on the way. But it sounds in some ways that your studies at Beeson as well as St. Andrews have kind of prepared you for this kind of academic world. Absolutely, 
Yes, Beeson's interdenominational evangelical character really was top of the list of the factors that, that led us to mm. remain in Birmingham and to apply to and attend Beeson. Absolutely. That is wonderful. You mentioned your Spanish studies. That's not a native language of Auburn, uh, so uh, you're no, learning Spanish. No. Will you teach in Spanish? I or? will, yes. I will lecture in Spanish. When the time comes down the road a bit, I begin taking on doctoral students. Most of that will conversation will be in Spanish. The majority of the literature is in English and as well, uh, particularly in Old Testament, there'll be quite a bit in German. But yes, the, the lecturing in the classes in the licenciatura program, which is roughly uh, the mix between a master's and, a, and an undergraduate, which they need to be licensed, those yeah. core classes will be lectured in, in Spanish. So yes, so if you're listening, you know how to pray for the terrors in the next 10 months. So now you're, you're already in Argentina. I'm speaking to you now from Argentina. So how is your family adjusting to life down there? How's the food? Well, How's the weather? <laughs> Every, well, it's the city of, of the beautiful air. And for the most part, it's true. We, we have beautiful weather until we have bad weather. And then it, it rains very hard. My wife said this the other day, actually. This is not, this is not as hard as I thought it would be. And I don't know if that says my wife went into it. I'd say that's a good sign at this point in your journey. (laughs) I think we're adjusting well. We have found a really fantastic community here, our church. Um, Our church is part of the Presbytery, uh, the San Andres Presbytery, which is closer links, believe it or not, to the St. Andrews Presbytery in uh, St. Andrews, Scotland. Really? Yes. Our church took a mission trip to... Our church here in Argentina took a mission trip to my former church in St. Andrews, Scotland, the month after I moved home. My goodness. From St. Andrews to back to the United States in 2008. Small world, but this group, this presbytery, has really come around our family. Uh, one, one small story to illustrate this. Right when we arrived, in order to rent an apartment or rent a house in Argentina, you have to have something called a garantia, which is essentially someone who is an Argentine native or someone who owns property in Argentina legally and is recognized as such. These people are very hard to find if you don't know anybody such as we do. Well, we asked our, we asked our seminary, we can't provide this for you. So someone from our presbytery sent a massive email around to hundreds of pastors, lay leaders, elders in the presbytery. Within an hour, I had an email from a perfect stranger saying, my family's owned a property for five generations. We would be willing to put our property up as a guarantee for you to Mm. rent against, essentially. Mm. Not knowing if these people never met us. They simply Mm. knew we were here, we had a need, there was a family. They they saw a tangible way to help. That's a Christian community in action, isn't it? It was fantastic, yes. Uh, Someone else has given us food regularly. Someone else has helped me buy a car before I could speak too eloquently with a salesperson, which is the true test of your language. Yes. Can you buy a vehicle at a good rate? Just you imagine it. They have come around us and come around us and supported us. And yes, they have really eased eased us into this culture very well. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. Now, what do you do for fun in Argentina? My boys have have gotten into all kinds of things. Football, of course. Soccer is fantastically, wildly popular here. They're very busy at their school. And with all the kids in their school, birthday parties are a huge deal. So mm. we're, we're at those all the time. My, my boys love to climb, to do rock climbing. There's rock climbing here. We walk down to the river where there's a massive park and play area. There's tons of children out there. There's fishing. There's boats. There's a big amusement park nearby. And then you can go outside the city and see the beautiful estancias, which are giant ranches where they'll, 
They'll do a big barbecue for you called an asado with fantastic Argentine beef. There's so much culture, so much history, so much warmth here. Yet at the same time, there's a real hesitancy to let to let us as foreigners pass that initial couple levels of, of intimacy. You have to earn the right to be a part of the community in that way. Yeah. Right. Now, Argentina, you know, has really been in the news the last, I guess, uh, four or five months because of the Pope, uh, who's from Buenos Aires, was the Archbishop of Buenos Aires. I've, I've talked to some of my friends uh, in Argentina that have told me he was, when he was in Argentina, very friendly to evangelicals, prayed with them, and uh, there was maybe a little bit less of the tension that you think about between Catholics and evangelicals in South America. Uh, have you picked up on any of that or not? I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, Papa Pancho, as they call him. Papa Pancho. Uh, Papa Pancho, yes. That's that's sort of his colloquial name uh -huh. here. Papa Pancho is beloved. Mm. Um, and that's that's saying, it's not putting it strongly enough, by, by of course, the, the Catholic communion and by many, many evangelicals here, Protestants and evangelicals alike. Um, the ecumenical atmosphere here is is a bit different than what I experienced prior. Every section of the city, and Buenos Aires has 14 million people, so it's quite a large wow. area, both geographically and numerically. So every section of the city has a large um, ecumenical fellowship that meets regularly once a month. And bishops, pastors, lay leaders, elders, deacons, across the board, they have hundreds of people go to these every every month, mm. and the, the, I'm in the northern area of the city, and ours was two weeks ago. Hundreds of people there, Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, on their knees together, praying for a revival, for a renewal, of, for their country and for the world. So it's a very religious time here in Argentina. Yeah, the Pope really ignited that. But I, and I asked my pastor, I said, did it have this much momentum before? The Pope was appointed and elected a couple months ago, and he said, actually, yes, it does. We do operate ecumenically here. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's encouraging to see. But they do it without watering down distinctives or, or jettisoning yeah. those things which are central and core. It's what I call an ecumenism of conviction, not of accommodation. And I think I like that, that that's the way forward. Absolutely. Well, that's such an encouraging report uh, from you. Okay. Now, um, we're almost out of time, Seth, but I wonder if you would just sort of speak to the people who are listening, particularly uh, maybe to some Beeson grads or other students or folks who, who, who kind of feel called to teach. We all know how difficult it is to uh, find a teaching job in the States. And actually, I may have given you this speech. Uh, when students come to me and say they, they want to get a Ph.D. and become a professor in the seminary, I have a ministry of discouragement to them. I say, do you really want to do this? The Lord needs pastors. He needs evangelists. He, you know, we're, we're way back on the supply lines, people like me. We need you to be on the front lines. But of course, God does call people. He called me and has called you to this kind of work. And I wonder if you would just speak a little bit about the discernment process, uh, comment some of the discouragement that come, might come along the way, and how you would advise some of maybe our own students or others in other seminaries who are really pondering this question in terms of vocation. I'll address it in two ways, my own experience and then maybe some principles that I've extract, extracted from that that I, I don't intend to be normative, however, maybe helpful. I always felt called to teach. 
that was, I think, teachers, people who want to invest in others, have always known that about themselves. And there's a, there's a real deep, sincere, earnest sense of, this is what I was put on this earth to do, to help people come, come to make good decisions. And when it, when it comes to teaching biblical studies and theology, that, that inner drive, I still think, has to be there. To be an effective professor, communicator, like so many of the ones I sat under a beast. Dr. Thielman actually gave me the same advice that you just mentioned. Uh. Don't, sit in a, don't sit in a dusty basement and read books the rest of your life. Go, go preach. Go, it was good, good. I didn't heed it, but it was yep. still good advice. Yep. <laughs> I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, and I don't pretend to know exactly what he is or isn't doing related to the job market in, for example, the U.S. or the U.K., um, English-speaking context. But the reality is when a job posts for a biblical scholar or theologian, hundreds line up to get one job. Down here at institutes all over our city, and I can just speak for our city in Buenos Aires, when there is a need, they have two or three people trying to fill 15 or 20 different spots. So it's an inverted mm. wow. reality down yeah. here. I'm speaking for Latin America, but I can also speak for Africa and for Asia as well. The, the need is great. And I... To be brutally honest, I didn't go into seminary thinking I'm going to go internationally and teach when I'm done. I just knew I was called to teach and I wanted to teach mm. and that God had gifted me in that direction and the church had supported me. But while I was in study at St. Andrews and while I was given these opportunities in Beeson, God began to slowly shift my thinking. And the question was driven home to me sitting on a train in Scotland by a man who's now a pastor, actually, did a PhD in pastoring a Presbyterian church in Minnesota. He looked at me and said, why do you think that everyone you're going to teach needs to look like you and be from the same country as you and speak the same language as you? And I never thought of it in those terms before. I had really limited my call, the call God had on my life. I had limited it to what I understood or what I really wanted. I hadn't considered that, yes, he wanted you to he wants you to teach, but he wants to explode your notion of where you can teach, what you can teach, and how you can teach. Mm. And that's sort of how I got led into international theological education, is because my wife and I, through a period of prayer and discernment and speaking and listening and hearing and waiting on the Lord, really came to a point of, well, this is what I'm called to do. And we look at the reality of the world we live in in the U.S., the job market is what it is. And we began to see that perhaps this is God shoving us out. Maybe took something like this to begin to push, begin to push me, and I know it's pushing other people too. And I know that's maybe not the most pious sounding reason or component of a call, but it's a reality. It, yeah. is, it is a reality of the world we live in. And I think God used that along with the internal call and this having seen the need with my own eyes abroad. He was pushing us in this direction. You know, okay. Seth, at Beeson, uh, we have graduates. We have over a 1,000 now. You're one of more than a 1,000 graduates from our school since we started in 1988. And they are serving, you all are serving, on every continent on earth. And every right. week we list your names in our chapel guide. We pray for you by name uh, on certain weeks and the special needs you have in your ministry. And I'm so glad that we'll put you and Mary and your family on that list and we'll be praying for you here at Beeson as you carry out the work that God has given you to do in this open door 
at uh, the Protestant International Seminary in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Thank you so much, Seth, for this conversation today, and God bless you in all you're doing to lift Thank high you. the banner of the gospel. Thank you, Dr. George. Blessings on you and Beeson as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.